Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. How many are ready for the word? I am excited about Christmas at Bethesda and all that God is going to be doing this month. We have incredible things planned for you and your family the entire month. So I would encourage you to make it to every single service that you can. Uh, It's going to be fun, but it's also going to be life changing. How many know it's pointless to come to church without life change? It's like pointless. It's a waste of time if there's not life change. And so I want to encourage you to make plans to be here. It's officially the Christmas season, um, the most wonderful time of the year, uh, filled with Christmas joy, Christmas gifts, family, food, all the fun stuff. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. But for a lot of people, this time of year is a very difficult season. And I think um, if we're carrying negative emotions, and when I say negative emotions, some of the ones I'm going to be dealing with in this series would be guilt, jealousy, um, anger, greed, all negative type of emotions. Those negative emotions are often magnified during this time of year. Statistics even show us that more suicides are committed from Thanksgiving to New Year's in that, that time frame than the whole rest of the year combined. So it's a great time of year for a lot of us, but for many of us, it's a very difficult season. It's a very difficult time, and I think part of that is because whatever negative emotions we have, they are magnified in the Christmas season, whether that be a failed marriage, a lost child, a lost parent. Uh, it just magnifies things that we feel in this season. How many would admit that you're a little more sensitive this time of year? Some of y'all, some of y'all ain't playing like, no, I'm good. Right. But we, we, we're more sensitive. And so emotions can be uh, magnified this time of year. And so I am going to deal with jealousy next week. Y'all ready for that one, right? We're going to talk about jealousy next week and week three, I'm going to deal with guilt. But today I want to deal with the topic of anger. I want to deal with the topic of anger. Now, in this series, and specifically today, many of us will be tempted um, to think that this series of messages is not for us. We're going to be tempted to think, I'm so glad so-and-so is here. (laughs) And if you you do that, please stop, because this message is not for so-and-so. This message is for you. Hit your neighbor and say, this message is for you. All right? And you say, well, I'm not angry. Well, if you're not angry, you're going to be. At some point, you're going to have to deal with anger. All right? Uh, So it's going to be for you. And I, I need you to be patient. Even if anger is not really the emotion you're dealing with, maybe it's jealousy or guilt. And you're like, I can't wait for that one. I I, I want you to be patient because we're going to get to those. But I think we need to start with with anger because anger has made all of us do regrettable things. Um, But before we can understand anger, we got to understand where it comes from. 
Anger comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. All action, and anger usually has an action attached to it, all action flows from the heart. Our words, our deeds, our behavior, they are a gauge of what's going on on the inside. They indicate where we are, where we're not, but they also indicate where we're going, okay? Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That embarrassing outburst in front of your family, that came out of your heart. It reflected, listen, even if you, you flew off the handle, said things that you later regretted and, and say, I didn't mean it, how many of you understand that if it came out, it's because it was there? It's because it was there. It was in the heart all along. You just needed the right circumstance to happen to cause what was already in you to come out, to cause it to come out. And so in other words, what we said and what we did, it's really not unusual because it speaks to a, to a deeper concern. It's something going on in the heart. And here's the thing, we've all grown very adept at covering our hearts, especially in the church world. We cover our heart. In fact, we're so good at it, most of us have no idea how corrupt we really are because we don't ever deal with the heart of the matter. Uh, occasionally, though, what happens is, is that if you're good at covering your heart and masking your heart, eventually what happens is, is that your heart goes public and you see it and everybody else sees it. We, we, we say things like we didn't mean it, but the truth is we just didn't mean to say it. <laughs> we felt it, we just didn't mean to say it, right? We failed at our attempt to monitor our heart. We knew it was there, but we failed to keep it in check. And perhaps the major reason we rarely stop to monitor our hearts is that it was never encouraged. Many of us were never encouraged to monitor our heart. We were, we were encouraged to modify our behavior. And, and, and a lot of us, that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Instead of just modifying behavior, God wants to change our heart. And so we can mask things and, and you know, cover things and modify behavior and modify speech and I need to act this way in this setting, but if the heart is not right, eventually the heart will go public, okay? Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, growing up, and I know you guys are going to have a hard time believing this. I mean, you just are. I mean, you know, this is your pastor. How in the world could he act like that? But um, when I was a teenager, we were playing some game at the house, and my parents were also in ministry. And so, um, and even more so than ministry, that I had the type of parents that had prayer meetings at the house, you know, where I would come into the, the living room, and they all praying in tongues and, you know, prophesying, and I'm like, Oh, and I would go right back to my room, you know, like, what are they doing? That's the kind of home I grew up in. And, and so uh, we were playing some kind of game. We were running inside and outside, and I ran in uh, through the front door, and I'm literally running. I tripped, and I fell, and out came a four-letter word with my mom and dad sitting in the living room. 
It came out, and I thought, oh, no. And I thought this was going to be the moment where, because I grew up in the house where uh, the whole spare the rod, spoil the child thing, that was, that, was, that was a core value. Like, we believed in that one. Like, I thought this was the moment where dad's belt came out and my behind was about to be whipped. You know, that whole put your hands on the fireplace, boy, and don't you dare move those hands. If you put them down, I'll wear them out too, young man. And some of y'all are like, I can't believe he grew up in a home like that. They beat him. That was abuse. No, they beat me right into this pulpit. I wouldn't be a pastor without parents that understood... I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't, were not raised in that kind of environment. And so I, this time though, it wasn't one of those, I'm going to wear your behind out. This time my mom, who is 110 pounds soaking wet, grabbed me by the ear and drugged me all the way to the bathroom. And it wasn't like Ralphie in the Christmas story with the bar of soap in the mouth. She didn't use a bar of soap, baby. Oh, no. She said, open up. And she, that little finger of hers, that tiny, the squirt soap. I mean, it was going 100 miles. She feel I'm choking on this stuff. I don't know why I didn't call CPS on her. I have no clue. But she was filling my mouth full of liquid soap. Needless to say, I never let another four-letter word slip out of my mouth in front of my parents. I modified that behavior even at times when my heart was still corrupt. How many of you can modify the behavior and not change the heart? And that's the point of Proverbs 4.23, that we can modify, we can cover, we can, you know, act right in the right setting and still not have a heart change. And so we tend to reach for remedies to address our symptoms without really dealing with the root problem. But eventually your heart, which is the real you, is going to stand up. The real you will outpace your attempts to monitor everything you say and do. Eventually your emotions if they are not in check, if, if you have not had a heart change, eventually your emotions will outpace you. And an unchecked heart has the potential to destroy your relationships and to destroy what God wants to do in your life. It's why it's so important that we deal with negative emotions, specifically that of anger. In the physical realm, we know this works in the physical, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have heart disease, um, at that point, we don't go around pretending we don't. But in the church, we can know our heart's bad, but we pretend it, we're good. But physically, if we are told that, we're like, what do I do to fix it? What do I do? I got this negative report. Obviously, obviously I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe God for healing, but it may also uh, mean that I have to change the way I live. I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix this physically. And yet many times spiritually, when the Holy Spirit, when the Word of God challenges where we are, instead of saying, what must I do to fix it, we just cover it. And this is where the church is in 2022. I'm going I'm to go a step further. Uh, you know what, I, when I look at COVID and what happened over those couple of years, what, what I saw when, when it, you know, I'm not saying it's all completely over, but it's, it's definitely better now than it was in 2020. But when I look at what happened in the church in relationship to what happened in, in 2020, what I saw is that we had a lot of people pretending 
Oh, Lord. And, and, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, here's how I know that, because since COVID, I, I was at a meeting this week in Cleveland, Tennessee, um, with a bunch of pastors from across the United States, and it was on church planting and revitalization. And in that meeting, they threw out some numbers to me that were alarming. Uh, number one, the first number they gave is 15% of churches after COVID, 15% of them died. They no longer exist. So they're, they're no more. 15%. How many? That's a lot of churches. I mean, that's thousands of churches that closed their doors. They're no longer open. Uh, roughly 40% of churches survived, but, but they are literally in survival mode. And when I say survival mode, like they're just keeping the lights on. That's how much damage happened from COVID. You say, well, what, what's the point in the number? The point is, is that if we had true disciples, no matter what happened during COVID, the church should still be strong on the other side of it. The problem is that we had a lot of people pretending. So 40%, and then roughly another 40%, um, they survived and they're doing okay. They're just smaller in attendance. They don't have the same attendance that they used to have. That's 95% of churches have either closed barely hanging on, they're doing, they're doing well, just smaller numbers, or 5% is the last 5% actually grew. Okay, that, those are some alarming numbers. But I'm saying that to say we are living in an hour where it, we can't pretend anymore. We can't go through the motions and pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay. If our heart's not good, let's admit our heart is not good. Holy Spirit, come in, do a work in me. It's not them, Lord. It's me, Lord. Do something in me. I don't want to be the same in 2023 as I was in 2022. God, I'm open for you doing something new in me. If you believe that, give God a praise. If you believe God wants to do something brand new in your life. Now, Jesus said, when it comes to, let me, let me give this, understanding anger, of all our emotions, of all of them, we have a lot of emotions, and emotions are not demonic. Can I throw that out there? A lot of people want to make emotions demons. God gave you emotions. He just doesn't want your emotions to have you. Okay, I need emotions. I need those to be able to function. It's an, it's an important thing to, to have emotions. But understanding anger, of all the emotions that we have, anger is considered the strongest, the most raw, and potentially the most destructive emotion. In 15 different instances in the Bible, the Bible mentions both the word anger and fire in the same verse. The intentional, uh, pic this intentional picture is for good reason. As we recognize fire has positive attributes, but it also has negative characteristics, right? There's positives and negatives when we talk about fire. Um, a pot of boiling water that I'm getting ready to throw my pasta in, that is positive. But my house on fire burning to the ground, that's very negative. And so we have positive characteristics of anger or fire and negative characteristics of anger or fire. Uh, let me give you an example. In, in Mark's gospel, Jesus actually healed a man out of anger. 
He was so mad and angry at the religious people because they didn't care about this guy that out of his anger, it drove him to perform a healing on this man. That, that is fire. That is anger in a positive way. But there is also negative characteristics of anger. It's why the scripture says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. All right? Anger is not a sin. What we do with our anger determines if it becomes sin. Anger, though, loves to appear helpless. Anger is uh, a secondary emotion. It always comes from somewhere, but too often we can't see past the smoke and the flames, a rude driver, a gossiping friend, or a procrastinating spouse to identify the true source. Unless we address our anger at its source, it will continue to burn us and to burn others. It is not the primary, the primary thing. We, we tend to focus on the yelling, the kicking, the screaming, the cussing, the pouting, the passive-aggressive posts on Facebook. I'm going to give you a minute just to say amen right there. Anger, at the end of the day, what, what is anger? Anger is when... I get to a place where I feel in my anger that you owe me. The emotion of anger is you owe me. You did not meet my need. You did not meet my expectation. And because you didn't meet it, you now owe me. That is what anger demands. Anger demands payment. That's why we yell and kick and scream. What's that about? Somebody owes me. Somebody needs to pay up. They let me down. Anger always says you owe me. Now, next week when I deal with jealousy, jealousy at the end of the day, jealousy is God owes me. Anger is always you owe me. Jealousy, God owes me. Okay, we'll hit that next week. Hit your name and say that's next week. Anger is a strong emotion of irritation, agitation, or hostility that occurs when a need or expectation is not met. Think about a time when you were angry, when you were upset. The, we, you, could, you could narrow that frustration down to you wanted something and you didn't get it. You wanted something and you didn't get it. It may have been money. It may have been time. It may have been respect. In other words, you didn't get what you were convinced you, you deserved. And the response to that is somebody owes me. Anger says you owe me. It says you owe me a marriage. It says you owe me a childhood. It says you owe me a career path. What do we say when we're angry? You owe me an apology. Anger is all about what we want others to pay us back. You owe me. Now, honest moment, we've all been angry and felt like they owed us. If you've ever felt that emotion, you were angry and felt like somebody owed you, raise your hand. Everybody in the room, if you're not raising your hand, come get this mic. I'm going to let you preach a little while. We've all been there. 
Each of us has a vision of the way we think life should be. In other words, we have expectations of, of happiness, success, joy, security, all those things. And anger creeps into our hearts when our expectations are consistently unmet. And when our expectations are consistently unmet, we start living in what I call the slow burn. There's an underlying anger all the time. And it could be your spouse is being a jerk, for real. Like it really is happening. They are not meeting your needs. And now you are living in that slow burn and you're living with that jerk owes me. Come on, smile at me. You, you wouldn't call your husband a jerk, would you? But they owe me. I'm living in a slow... And, and listen, here's the problem with anger. When we have consistent unmet needs, it goes from circumstantial anger... I'm mad over this, we pinpoint this is what I'm mad about. And what happens is instead of it being about a circumstance and one person owing us, we start living in anger. We start living in frustration. And instead of the person who's not meeting our needs paying us back or them getting, uh, the, 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 I guess, the, the brunt of our anger, what happens is, is that the people closest to us start feeling the effects of our anger, even if it wasn't them that didn't meet our needs. And so what I mean by that, this person at the office may have hurt you and you feel like they owe you. But because that, that has gone on so long and you haven't dealt with it, you know who ends up paying? Your spouse, your children, your parents. The people that love you the most start paying because at the end of the day, anger says somebody owes me. And I'm going to be mad until payment has been made in full. Anger always results in this debt-to-debtor dynamic that always causes an imbalance in any relationship. If you owe somebody money, let me, I can explain it best like this. If you owe somebody a hundred bucks, let's just say... Um, I gave you a golf club. We had a deal. We, you know, we shook hands. Hundred bucks, you can have this putter. And you, and, and you take the putter and say, I, PC, I'll pay you later. Okay, six weeks goes by. And you're out there sinking birdies, making 25-foot putts, but you haven't paid me your hundred bucks. How many of you understand in that moment that relationship is now governed by that debt. Now, it depends on where, where you are mentally with something like that. I know it's a simple example, but a, a, another example would be you and your spouse are fighting and, and there's anger involved. There's unmet expectations. It creates a debt and now the relationship, instead of being governed by love, peace, and joy, and kind, it's now governed by you owe me. Does this make sense? It's governed by it. And so now I filter decisions and the way I treat this person, the, you know, I gave him the golf club. He didn't give me the hundred bucks. So every time I see him, I'm thinking about the hundred dollars. He's thinking about the hundred dollars. And now that debt is governing the relationship. How many relationships are you in that is being governed by a debt? Where you owe them or they owe you. Okay. Hit your neighbor and say, we're going somewhere. Now watch this. It's easy to believe that um, 
Because let me, let me say this. There are only two ways to resolve this kind of tension. Either somebody must pay up or somebody has to cancel the debt. And the reason why is because if the debt is unpaid or unforgiven, the debt now governs the relationship. It's why Jesus taught the Matthew 18 principle that people don't do is so that we would not live in relationships that is governed by debt. But what do we do in the church? We don't, we don't fix it. We don't do Matthew 18. We don't have conversations where we cancel the debt. We forgive one another. We talk about that person. We gossip about that person. We say A, B, and C about them. And instead of the debt being canceled or forgiven and we're all on good terms, we're actually creating debt to debtor relationships with other people. Are y'all following? Instead of fixing it. Now watch this. It's easy to believe that the only remedy for anger is payback. After all, that's how we settle debts. If you owe Visa $1,000, the only way to settle it, right, is to pay it back. You gotta pay that thing off. Um, and a lot of times we think that uh, to cancel a debt would be to let the guilty party off the hook. And this thinking is tragic because people spend much of their lives waiting for debts to be paid that cannot be paid. Like some of us, we're adults and we're still mad at our parents for our childhood. It's like, you're 45 years old. Like they can't pay that back now. That debt, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't return back to being seven again and they gave you the right kind of cereal. <laughs> I'm having fun. Y'all act like you're struggling. At that child, that marriage, it ended in divorce, it was 10 years ago. Like, how is that gonna be paid back? The Chinese proverb says, the man who opts for revenge should dig two graves. You're probably saying, well, pastor, you don't know me that well. Why, why, why are you asking me to consider my anger? And the truth is, if I were to sit down and have coffee with you and hear your story, of why you're mad, why you're angry, what they did to you, I'm sure I would be convinced. You would, you would cast a compelling argument, they were wrong, they owe you, and I would even you know, become one of the people in your army to go get them and make them pay, back, pay you back, and maybe we even take it to out back at my house. We'll dig a hole, we'll take them out, we'll put them in the hole, we'll put the dirt over the hole, and we won't tell anybody. I'm sure you, you, you got a compelling argument because most people who are angry have a compelling story. They do. They were hurt. An expectation was not met. But what I want you to consider is, is that your anger may be affecting you more than you realize. And that carrying each of these debts may cause you to be the one who actually pays. Here's a question for you to consider. Every person who's angry, how long are you going to allow people some of which you don't even like. Some of which you're not in relationship with anymore. Some of which who are not even alive anymore. How long are you going to allow them to control your life? How long are you going to do it? While it's true that you can't undo what's been done, it's equally true that you don't have to let the past determine your future. Your story... Your story explains your behavior, but it does not excuse it. 
It explains why you did what you did. It explains why you said what you said. It explains why you gossiped, why, why you tore him down. It explains all that stuff, but it doesn't excuse it. And so we got to deal with the heart of the matter. To all this anger, the, the Apostle Paul, he had some direct things to say. In Ephesians 4.31, he said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. I love that he says, get rid of all. Everybody say all. In Greek, that word all means all. That there is no room for tolerance when it comes to bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. He said to get rid of all of it. And the sentence structure here implies that forgiveness is the means by which we're to do away with all those things. The only way for me to not live in bitterness, resentment, anger, and malice is to forgive. It's the only prescription. There's not another way. The only way to not live in that is to extend forgiveness. And forgiveness is the only way to rid myself of the destructive behavior of ang anger. And some of you are saying, well, that's nice, but it's not going to happen. But the Apostle Paul attaches something to the second part of verse 32. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, and here it is, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's the problem. We get hurt, and now we go through our life, viewing our life through our hurts. We start seeing life through the lens of hurt, through the lens of pain. And every decision we make seems smaller than the hurt we feel. Have you ever heard somebody's story and it's like, you know, they're, they're telling you about their life, but when they talk about their hurt, it's like, oh, wow. That's bigger than everything else in their life. It's bigger than their wife, their husband, their kid. Like that hurt is the biggest thing. We view our life through the lens of how we've been hurt. But the power of this verse is in the just as, just as is what he said, just as in Christ God forgave you. In view of my sin versus in view of my hurt. And a lot of times what we do is we see life through the lens of our hurt instead of seeing life through the lens of what God has forgiven us from. And the reason we can be angry and hold people accountable and make them feel as if they owe us is because we forget how much God has forgiven us. See, it's real easy for me to hold you hostage and say, you owe me when I've forgotten how much God has canceled on my behalf. How many are thankful for all the things God has forgiven you from? My list is long. Hit your neighbor and tell him my list is long. Some of y'all are way too holy to play that, right? Now watch this. Your hurt is not bigger than God's forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness Paul is talking about doesn't make any sense unless you are a forgiven person. Paul's writing to Christians. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand is that forgiven people, how many forgiven people do I have in here? I should have a whole room full of forgiven. What he's teaching me is forgiven people forgive. 
That's the principle. Forgiven people forgive. And forgiveness, friends, is not natural. It's supernatural. I want to go to Matthew 18 now. I want to look at this scripture because I think it illustrates where I'm going today. It says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, it says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, Peter thought he was being spiritual here. Like he thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say one time, like I, I can do this a couple times. He thought, I'm being really spiritual. Up to seven times, Lord? Look at Jesus' response. He said, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. And, and some of y'all got iPhone 70 times seven. You're going to pull up the number and think, all right, if I forgive him that many times, I can be done. The point is not a magic number. The point is, is that forgiveness for Christians, we operate in it all the time no matter what. Now, let me just throw it out there. It doesn't mean to forgive someone that I got to keep hanging out with you. Oh, okay. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean I have to forgive. And then Jesus begins telling his story after he says 70 times 7. And, he, and he, in, starting in verse 23, it's not on the screen, but I want you to hear this story he gives. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, his wife and his children, all that he had, and that payment be made. In other words, I'm mad, you owe me, right? The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. All right? So we see totally canceled the debt. It's paid off. You don't have to do anything about it. He forgave him. But that servant who was forgiven went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, laid hands on him, he wasn't praying for him, and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So... My heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So Jesus has already covered forgiveness, but Peter is looking for a concrete limit on forgiveness. He wants a number. How many times do I forgive my spouse and then I can like, not forgive anymore? How many times can, do, I, do I do this and it's up? And Jesus raises the standard and says it's not about a certain number that the the benefit of forgiveness is not for the offender that's what Jesus is teaching so if you have a person and the person hurts this person 
okay? This person is now offended. Forgiveness is not for the person who caused the hurt. Forgiveness is for the one who got hurt. Does that make sense? It's for the one who's offended, the one who is hurt. And so that's what Jesus is trying to help them see. It's not for the benefit of the one who caused the pain. It's for the benefit of the one who is in pain. And so Jesus answered, said, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In order to take the the emotion out of the listeners, Jesus creates a story that shows this one guy had a debt of thousands that he could never pay. And his master forgave the debt, had compassion and forgave him. He left his master, went out. He has a servant. Doesn't know thousands and thousands. He owes a hundred. And instead of having compassion, he, he chooses not to offer forgiveness of that debt, but to hold him to it. And the Bible says that he was turned over to the torturers. And then it ends by saying, my heavenly father will also do to you, to each of you, if from your heart you do not forgive your brothers, their trespasses. Now, now how many find that verse interesting? Anybody find that interesting? And you say, well, I don't, I don't connect the dots. I don't understand how that, that applies to me. This one guy who's forgiven thousands of dollars goes and holds a hundred bucks over this other guy's head. And it's exactly what you and I do when we have received his grace, his forgiveness, he brought us out of darkness, he forgave us every time we needed it, and then we turn around and refuse to offer it to those that need it. When we, instead of releasing the debt and offering forgiveness, we say, well, I don't like you, I ain't forgiving you, I can't believe you've done that, and we live there. Listen, friend, I'm just gonna go ahead and be bold enough to say it. If that's where you're living, you're probably not gonna make it to heaven. If you can't release people after God has released you, there's a problem. There is a breakdown. If you have received his grace and you have received his forgiveness, but you can never offer it, chances are maybe you haven't really received his forgiveness or you don't understand his forgiveness. How many are thankful that God has forgiven you? Anybody thankful that he has forgiven you? He's canceled the debt. The Bible says he holds your sins against you no longer. He doesn't hold them against you. But there will be temptation in our life at times, just like this servant who was forgiven, to go out and not forgive. There will be, listen to me, the enemy's going to make sure somebody rubs you the wrong way. And God's going to make sure you learn the lesson of forgiving people. And anything God is teaching you, he's going to test you on. You know what that means? If you're hearing this word, it probably means somebody's going to rub you the wrong way and you're going to have to choose to forgive them. Because if anything God is teaching you, ultimately, he will test you on. And I, there's, a, there's a phrase, and I, I got real bold at nine, and, and I, don't, I don't have to be as bold this time just because I'm just going to say it up front. There's so much language, especially in the church world, 
about church hurt. This one, I got hurt at church and my feelings got hurt at church and this happened at church. There ain't nobody been hurt more than the pastors in this nation in 2022. You can talk about people getting hurt. Every single day I have to operate in forgiveness where I hear about people that I've prayed for, counseled them through adultery and, and divorce and all kinds of stuff, say th- stuff against me. I've got to offer forgiveness every single day. I've got to decide to do that up front and many of the people that, that have hurt me or wrong me, I end up in a room with having to pray for when they're sick or they need a breakthrough. And if I don't choose to forgive, if I don't choose to let it go, come on somebody, I need a little more help than that. I'm around pastors all the time and the, and the stuff we've gone through the last three years, that there ain't, there ain't Christians, Christians for the most part could not handle some of the weight, the stress, the offense, the betrayal And it's still my responsibility, not the person who hurt me. It's my responsibility to forgive them. And if it's my responsibility to forgive them, it's your responsibility to forgive them. Am I preaching all right? You know why it's so quiet in here? Because this this kind of word is where we're living. And this this is a mature word. Because it's easy just to be mad and in your feelings and, and I, you know, I can't believe they did this and I'm going to call this and tell them about it and I'm going to tell them about it. I'm going to gossip over here. And, and we, nobody do, does Matthew 18 anymore. Listen, if the gossip doesn't stop with you, it means you're a gossiper. Oh, I'm in the right crowd now. I know I'm in the right place. So many Christians want to act, well, you know, I heard through the grapevine. And then they've called seven people too. It's like, it didn't, if it didn't die when it showed up at your, your doorstep, then you're just as guilty as the one that brought it to you. How many of you, as believers, as followers of Christ, when gossip and slander and all that stuff is happening, we should be the first person to shut it all down. It should go no further. It stops right here. If you got a problem with so-and-so, don't tell me. Go to them. And don't let their offense become your offense. It's getting quieter and quieter. Merry Christmas. Y'all going to be all right. Holding a debt may possibly be the most destructive thing you and I can do. This guy held this debt over this other guy. He held it, and it cost him his life. Forgiveness is the gift that ensures my freedom from a prison of bitterness and resentment. It ensures my freedom. Forgiveness is not about the person who wronged me. It's about my peace. It's about my joy. It's about my ability to live in God's comfort and joy and peace in my life. Now, some helpful thoughts, and I'm going to give you three takeaways. I know what time it is. Several thoughts concerning forgiveness. One, forgiving someone is not the same as condoning offensive behavior. Okay? So you may want to write these down. I'm just going to, these are one-liners. Forgiveness, forgiving someone is not the same as condoning offensive behavior. Secondly, forgiveness is not based on what is fair. If you want what's fair, we have that every August. Go to the fair. I'm so tired of Christians. It's not fair. It's not fair. 
If you want the fair, show up at the state fair in August. They judge pigs there. Right? Yeah, I'm in the right place. It was not fair for Jesus to hang on the cross, but he did. I'll be back next week, same time. Number three, forgiveness is not being a weak martyr. It's actually being strong enough to be Christ-like. Man, I'm telling you, you want to you see a real man or woman of God? You want to become one? Learn to, learn to forgive, because that ain't easy. It's not easy. Forgiveness is not letting the guilty off the hook. It's moving the guilty from your hook to God's hook. All right, now three steps, three steps, real quick. Number one, you have to decide to forgive. Okay, it's a decision. Choices lead, feelings follow. So I have to make a decision to forgive. You're not gonna wake up one morning and decide to forgive people. Oh, I just feel so good today. Cinnamon Toast Crunch tastes so good. I'm just gonna forgive them. Not going, you're not going to roll out of bed and feel like forgiving people who have actually wronged you. That's not going to happen. So you're going to have to decide to do it. It's a decision you make. Now, the second one, I told you I'm going to go fast. You have to determine to forgive. You say, that sounds like the first one. It does. But forgiveness, I have learned, is not a one-time decision. I have forgiven people and knew I had forgiven them. And about three days later, I was mad at them again. Can y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying, right? Like you think about it again and now like I'm going through it again. Like I forgave you on Sunday when I was in church, PC preached, I, I released you in the name of, but it's Wednesday and I feel like smacking you again. So I'm going to decide to forgive and then I'm going to have to be determined. I'm going to have to keep deciding to do it. All right. Cause it's intentional. Choices lead, feelings follow. Decide to forgive, determine to forgive. Last point is the worship team comes. You got to give the gift. You got to give the gift. Let me explain this. In Paul's day, there were two different words in the Greek language used to express the concept of forgiveness. And the word Paul chose to convey the idea of, of forgiveness, the word he chose is forgiveness as a gift. All right? Everybody say gift. It's the word he chose to use. A gift means if I give you a gift. Now, you may have some people in your life that when they give you a gift, they expect one. Or they expect some kind of reaction. But listen, the, the ultimate sign of a good gift is you can give it, no strings attached. Like if I give you a hundred bucks, if I just hand you a hundred bucks, I don't need you to, you know, tell everybody on Facebook I gave it to you. No strings, it's a gift. Just want you to have it right? That's, that's a true gift. This is yours. Do, do with it with whatever you want to do with it. But, but if some of us will say, I'm forgiving you, aren't you happy? That's not a gift. That's called control. Oh, Lord. I forgave you. Aren't you happy? Not a gift. It's, it's, I'm giving you a gift, no strings attached. It's not a gift if I need all that. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. That's what it feels like. 
Man, there's been so many times I'm like, Lord, how do I keep forgiving these people? I want to strangle your people, Lord. God, they've been saved longer than I have, and they are acting like children. God, help me. And it always feels like a decision every time I forgive someone that has wronged me. And obviously, people have to choose to forgive me when I wrong them. I'm not saying you're never going to not make a mistake again. Sometimes you're the one that you, you need somebody to say, I forgive you. Because you make mistakes. You're not perfect. All right? And so a lot of times it feels like I'm rewarding my enemy. And, and that's when I'm looking at it through the shadow of my hurt. But when I look at it through the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another one that's undeserving. Now, if you're going to clap, don't patty cake. Just go ahead and clap. Stand with me. Stand with me. I'm going to finish this up. Some of us, I jotted this down in my notes, and here's how you can tell you you've got a problem, you've not forgiven it, or it's getting ready to become a big problem, is that when you have a running list in your head of the things they've done wrong, listen, this will heal your marriage if you stop keeping score. It will heal your marriage. If you've got a running list, well, Joker didn't make his bed and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And it's like nine points. <laughs> I'm telling you, that marriage is going to struggle. The Bible says that love keeps zero record of wrongs. So if you've got a running tab in your head, well, they did this and then they said that and then they ignored me here and then they did this and you've got a, a running list in your head. That is anger growing. And eventually, that list, a circumstance is going to happen. And you know what's going to happen with that list? You're going to vomit it. You, you're going to vomit that thing. It won't be pretty. It's, it's going to be ugly. It, it, it's it's, it's, it's going to be one of those moments you're going to be like, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have said it. And, and here's the thing. When we've got lists that we are building, what we think our list is doing, we think our list is binding them. Like it's a binding thing. I've got them now. I've got this on them. i got this on them. We think it's binding them, but what we don't understand, our list about them is not binding them because they don't even know about the list. The list is actually binding you, robbing your joy, robbing your peace, keeping you from your breakthrough. And God is saying today, erase the list. Erase it. Drop the list. Drop the list. When you forgive, you set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was you. Come on, church, no more patty caking. I know we got homework to do because this kind of word is, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to gossip about it. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to do A, B, and C. I'm going to release them. Some of you are going to have to say, Jesus, I release, and you're going to have to name that person. I release, say their name out loud, 
I release them in the name of Jesus. And you know what you're going to have to do tomorrow? You're going to have to get up and say, I release that same person in the name of Jesus. You keep that going for about a week, I promise you there'll be a moment when you think about them and you don't have a negative emotion any longer, but you actually can pray for them, that God bless them and God prosper them. It's hard to be mad at people you've been praying for. How many have received the word today? You receive it? Give him one more praise. I'm going to quit right there. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of moments except for our compass directors and those that uh, have been given permission to move around at this time. You can feel free to go ahead and move around uh, and get in place. But I want to speak to people that that are in this room that would say, Pastor, there's somebody in my life, maybe it's multiple people that I need to forgive. I need to release. I know I do. If that's you, would you just, you just raise your hand. I need to release some people. I need to forgive them. I need to let it go. There's hands up all over this room. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, this is a holy moment. It's not a natural moment. It's a spiritual moment. God, that we operate biblically. God, and according to your word, we forgive those that have wronged us. We forgive those that have hurt us. God, we don't want to be bound by a list we've created in our head about another individual, a list that we think is binding them that has only imprisoned us. Today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, we release them in Jesus' name. And God, not just to cancel the dead and not just to offer forgiveness, but to be able to come to a place where we, we can pray sincerely for their well-being where we can pray for them and ask for you to prosper them and to do good things in their life God and God I pray for those in this room that that have been hurt that have to forgive those that have wronged them right now Holy Spirit that you begin to heal their heart because when we've been hurt God we're hurt we need a touch from you I ask God that you would begin to heal their heart Restore them, God. God, let them experience joy and peace again. God, because as we release those that have wronged us, God, you can begin to heal our hearts. You can heal our wounds. I declare over this house that we are free in the name of Jesus. I declare, God, that we are not holding grudges in the name of Jesus. I declare that we are whole in the name of Jesus, that we walk in peace and purity in the name of Jesus, that we are people that, that are called by your name, And God, because we've been forgiven much, we're going to offer forgiveness in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I need to repent of my sins, turn from them to follow Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, you say, I need to make things right with God today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. Thank you for these hands here in the middle. I see those. I see that hand back in the back right of the room. Anyone else? You see, that's me. Don't want to miss anyone at all. Saw those hands. I want everybody to pray with me out loud. Everybody together say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. I repent of those sins. I choose to follow you. Thank you. 
for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a praise for all those that are making decisions. Prayer team, staff, if you would go ahead and get in place, these altars are open. If you need prayer for anything at all during this last song, come and receive prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.